Pastor Xavier Reese and the reassurance of good doctrine. Lucy and Linus looking out the window at the steady downpour of rain. Boy, said Lucy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It will never do that, Linus replied confidently. God promised Noah that it would never happen again. You've taken a great load off my mind, said Lucy. Sound theology, pontificated Linus, has a way of doing that. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Whether it's cars or computers, man's constant pursuit for the new and the better keeps the market flooded with new and improved products. But Pastor Xavier tells us there are some things that never need improvement, and that includes the Word of God. Today, as he continues his study in the book of Genesis, he takes us back to the time when mankind got a second chance to follow the same old rules. Let's listen. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1 through 17, and the message entitled, A New World, New Rules. God begins to communicate to Noah here the new order for the new world. He has just destroyed every living being from the face of the earth except for these eight people, Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. The narrative provides for us God's order to Noah and his sons in the covenant of salvation history, which is characterized by three elements. Verse 1 through 7, you have the particular details of the covenant. Verse 8 through 11, you have the particular promise of the covenant. In verse 12 through 17, you have the particular sign of the covenant. It's a new world, new rules. Notice the mandate to populate the earth is given in verse 1, and it will be recapitulated or summarized in verse 7. The proclamation is, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. The second mandate comes in verse 2, and that is the mandate of ruling over the animal kingdom. The relation between man and animals now is different. The animal would fear man. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. And the word fear, as you know, means dismay. The word dread means terror. The combination communicates the complete animosity and hostile environment of the new world that did not exist pre-flood in Adam's day. By the way, both of these terms are military terms used for war, dread and fear. Deuteronomy 121 11.25 and 31.8. Everything's out of kilter now. God's ideal is lost in the garden and in the first world. They are given into your hand, he says. The dominion of man over the animals was given to Adam in Genesis 1.26 and 28. But even now, the dominion continues, but in a fallen and violent world. Now there's the animosity between man and the animals. The third mandate comes in verse 3 and 4, the mandate of eating meat. The entire animal kingdom is now to be as a provision for man's food supply. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, listen, even as the green herbs. So now they're put in comparison and in addition to. The only prohibition is found in verse 4, blood. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. The word blood marks the sharp contrast 
between what precedes. And the provision is propitious, personal, and prophetic. The taking of a life of an animal was to give life to a person. Think about it. Someone dies so you continue to live. God's creation made for you. That doesn't mean you can kill animals just to kill them for food. Propitious in that the blood was given as an atonement for sin. Genesis 3.21, God killed a little animal to cover Adam and Eve's sin. Leviticus 17.11 says, I have given you the blood for an atonement upon the horns of the altar. Personal, to eat flesh with blood was not permitted. In other words, you bleed the animal. You don't eat it with blood in it. First of all, it would be a health protection. Second of all, to remind you that blood gives life. It should be used for atonement. All right? And we see this in the law later on. The law was both hygienical to protect you from disease. You drink the blood and there's disease in it, then you get sick. But also prophetically, because the pagans of the land who would move away from God and worship the creature more than the creator would begin to worship animals and four-footed things and creeping things. And they would use it as a form of their gods. And they would worship their gods in animal sacrifice. Remember Corinthians? They would go to the market where the meat had been sacrificed to idols. Now, when you get to verse 5, now you have the mandate of capital punishment. Things are changing. The proclamation is not an option. Surely for your lifeblood, I will demand a reckoning. This is the first appearance of capital punishment in the scriptures. This is the basic and source as well as the Ten Commandments for all human government. As you look to this passage, including capital punishment, the affirmation of the proclamation is given in verse 6. The murderer shall die. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. This is not talking about accidental again or self-defense, but premeditated first-degree murder. You get an altercation, you kill a man. You plan and you kill a man. The reason is important is that man is created in God's image. Verse 6 says, for in the image of God, he made man. That's the reason he tells you, you must take a man's life who kills another man because it's a first, it's an offense against God and against man. You get rid of God, well, then you have no reason for it, right? Now you're, you're more compassionate than God. Now you're smarter than God. Interesting. Notice the distinction between the qualitative value between animal life and human life. It is purposeful, deliberate, and very, very clear. The aborting of fetuses is killing of a child, murder. Plan, premeditated, because they're created in the image of God. It's not tissue. The minute that egg and that sperm comes together, it's a life. When that egg does not become fertile, the dominance over the animal kingdom is evident to all. Too many today hold higher value to the life of animals than people. They protest and they boycott furs, spend thousands of millions of dollars to save the seals and the waves, and yet they demand the right to kill a baby in their own womb. Amazing. 
They will spend billions of dollars to bring a baby from Africa to operate on the heart that needs the heart surgery, and rightly so, and then they'll turn around and go into the other room and do an abortion. Where's the logic? They will boycott lumber industries and certain lands at the cost and benefit to human life, worshiping the creature more than the creator which is blessed forevermore, Romans 1.25. We're not just to kill animals. We're not just to neuter the forest. We have an ecological mandate for God. We take care of things. And if you're a Christian, you don't throw your trash around. If you're a Christian, you don't go carve your name in the redwoods. If you're a Christian, you don't graffiti our parking lot or anybody else's. The state of California has saved a lot of money with all the people in this building since you've been saved. <laughs> the perception that meat is not to be eaten today is often stated as a biblical mandate using Daniel in, in the garden as, as the biblical mandate. No. The problem with this is not biblical. Here we have the first mandate. We can eat meat. The New Testament also attests this. Paul, the apostle in Romans 14, says this. 14, 1 through 4. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat despise him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So in other words, if you have a conscience that defiles to eat meat, then don't eat it. Eat vegetables. If you have no problem with that, you eat meat. You're not to judge one another. You have freedom. But you cannot say the Bible says that vegetables are better. No, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, he calls those who can only eat vegetables weak in the faith. That's interesting. So he says, don't stumble the babies. Be sensitive. So it's a matter of conscience, but not biblical mandate. So be careful what you teach is biblical. I can respect your opinion and capital punishment and vegetables, but don't say the Bible teaches it. That's wrong. Now, the mandate for capital punishment is key, and it's to be recognized because God has given it. It's created by God. Let me give you some things that are very important in the scriptures. First of all, here the Lord stated capital punishment as a rule for life in the new world. It has never been lifted, and I'm going to show you that. It is a recognition that God is still the authority over mankind, and through man, he is still preserving life. When we kill murderers, execute them, we are preserving life. How many people now, since we lifted the capital punishment, go into jail, come out, and they kill other people? They would have never killed those other people, all right? The law of Moses, Numbers 35, jot that down, verse 29 through 34. The principle of the law is given in verse 29 through 30. Just listen to it. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer, shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. It had to be two or three. You know why? Because the law said if you lie in testimony and the, and the consequence is capital punishment, then when you're found lying, then we kill you. Nobody's going to agree with a liar or someone has a vendetta against somebody. It's a deterrent. It's real simple. The reason for the law is given to us in verse 33 and 34. Listen to it carefully. 
So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except for the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, no, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. You pollute the land when you don't execute murderers. Look at our land, people. The populace is the one that's in prison in their house. The particular details of the covenant were for the benefit of mankind. They still stand. Now look at the particular promise of the covenant, verse 8 through 11. In verse 8, the people to whom the covenant was promised is given. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, Noah, as you know, means rest. He was blameless and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Shem means name with the idea of reputation or fame. Ham meant hot, something prophetically perhaps of his shameful act of staring at his father's nakedness down in verse 22 of chapter 9. And Japheth means open or to make broad. These are the men that God is dealing with for the covenant. Nobody else. Notice verse 9 and 10, you have the parties affected by and the person performing the covenant promise. The one establishing the covenant was God himself. And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant. So the emphasis upon God, the initiator of the covenant, the only one bound to this covenant. It is unilateral or unconditional. He's going to perform it. Man has nothing to do with this. The ability to fulfill the covenant is also focused on God. Look at I establish. As much as he brought the flood, he would establish it. The extent of the covenant is beyond their generations, not just them. With you and with your descendants after you in the world that would be repopulated. But notice also that the animal kingdom would also be affected. The general statement is made by the words, and with every living creature that is with you. God honors his creation. The specific statement follows. The birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. God says, you can hold me accountable, Noah, sons of Noah, and animal kingdom. I'm a man of my word. Look at verse 11. The personal affirmation is by the one responsible for the covenant promise. God would be true to his covenant promise. Thus, I establish my covenant with you. The ability was God's. Thus, I establish my covenant. The beneficiary was man with you. God promised he would never again destroy the earth by a flood. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, since the days of Noah, we've known some floods, local floods, but not a universal flood. God's kept his word. You know, much like a father who has disciplined his child growing up with physical punishment and spankings, he gets to a stage, maybe he's 13, 14 years old, where he turns to his son and says, you know, son, I'm no longer going to deal with you after this manner of discipline, but I'm going to have new rules for you. Now I'm going to discipline you through restrictions, through taking away what's valuable to you because he's reached a certain age. And so likewise in this new world, totally different from what God had intended because of the fall. So he deals with man on these bases. These bases will keep order and maintain the protection and provisions for man. 
But man has deviated from it. We think that we're wiser. We think we know better. The particular promise of the covenant dealt with never destroying again by a flood mankind. Now, look at thirdly, the particular sign of the covenant. Verse 12 through 17. 12 and 13, the sign was to be perpetual. Mark that well. The speaker is God, and God said, the word God is Elohim, the creator. It speaks of the Trinity. I am. Hebrew word that ends in I am is plurality. You have the Trinity, the first verse of the Bible as we looked at. The specific parties involved, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you, man and animal. They're both included throughout this passage. The repetition is for emphasis regarding God's faithfulness. Notice that. The sign is related to the covenant. The word sign means a signal or a token or distinguishing mark or proof. Now, some of you are old enough as I look out there to remember the old tokens for the buses in L.A. You show the token, you get on the bus. Token, the sign of his promise. The sign is made by God, notice, and the sign between God and man. The sign is between God and the animal kingdom also. Now, notice the extent of the covenant in verse 12 there. For perpetual generations. The covenant was for all future generations. Literally, perpetual means of eternity. The covenant would stand till God establishes the kingdom on the earth. As you know, God will destroy the world by fire after the thousand-year reign, 2 Peter 3.12. In the eternal state, we read in Revelation 21.1, Now I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Also, there was no more seas. God brought the earth out of the waters. God judged the world of Noah and put it underwater. At the end of the thousand years, God will destroy the world by fire. The new heaven and new earth, there is no seas. There's a distinction through the orders, through the epics that God gives to us. Notice the identity of the sign in verse 13. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between man and the earth. The word for rainbow is the same word that is used for a warrior's bow. Rather than destroying, he would spare. Same word as a warrior bow. God said it would be for a sign of the covenant between him and the earth. Now notice in verse 14 and 15, the sign was to be placed in the clouds, listen, as a memorial. The entire inhabitants would see it. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the clouds. God would be manifesting it in the clouds over the earth. Mankind would see it from the earth. He was making this covenant with man and with beasts. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. God promised that he would recall the flood. That he would not destroy the world through a flood again there. He keeps himself responsible and accountable to his own word. The rainbow shall be in the cloud. And I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant. So God would hold himself accountable. Listen, to man between God and every living creature and all flesh that is on the earth. Pretty amazing. Man doesn't want to hold himself accountable. God holds himself accountable to man and to beast. 
Amazing. Now, notice in verse 17, the sign of the rainbow was the sign of the covenant. Okay? And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant. Seven times the word covenant is repeated for emphasis. 9, 11, 12, 13, 15, 16, 17. The rainbow is a sign of hope and grace, pointing to the certainty and efficiency of the Redeemer to come. There is no other person establishing it, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Do you think God is repeating this to Boris? He's giving you a detailed, precise document that you might hold him responsible to his word. A Peanuts cartoon pictured Lucy and Linus looking out the window as a steady downpour of rain came down. Boy, said Lucy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It will never do that, Linus replied confidently. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. <sighs> You've taken a great load off my mind, said Lucy with a relieved smile. Sound theology, pontificated lioness, has a way of doing that. <laughs> How's your theology? Do you have solid theology? Biblical theology, which is better than systematic theology? That's man-made. Solid foundation. If your house is not built on solid theology, the storms will come and your house will fall. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's your choice. The interesting thing is the rainbow appears usually after the rain and the association is inescapable. The manifestation is indescribable and the understanding is indispensable. The rainbow displays the glory of God in the temple of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 1.29. The glory of God departing. That's the next time you see the rainbow. Then you find the rainbow in the book of Revelation. Upon the throne of God, over the head of God, who is Christ on the throne there, at least to worship. Listen to Revelation 4.3. And he who sat on there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. All glory and worship belongs to Christ alone. And the promises of God only lead to the glory of God and the worship of God. On his head, on the throne, is not a crown of thorns, but the crown of glory and the crown of worship. Do you know who you worship? <laughs> the particular sign of the covenant was the rainbow making himself accountable to mankind. I'm humbled. By God. God's order to Noah and his sons in the covenant of salvation history is characterized by these three elements. The particular details of the covenant were for the benefit of mankind. Understand them. They're still effective today. The particular promise of the covenant dealt with never destroying again by a flood mankind. God's faithful. And the particular sign of the covenant was the rainbow making himself accountable to mankind. And that truly should humble us. A new world, new rules. How's your theology? 
Is it intact? Is it biblical? Or is it diluted and westernized? I hope not. We must look to God, the scriptures, no one else. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of trusting God and His Word. And you can request a copy of today's provocative study called A New World, New Rules. It's available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what was shared the last time we were together as well. Now, the title to ask for once again is A New World, New Rules. Or simply mention today's date when you get in touch. Write us today for your copy at Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you include the call letters of this station when you contact us. God is still looking for those who will remain faithful to Him. That's our topic on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 